Please open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 1011. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translations that Mr. Jeremy Fuller will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. <clears throat> if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. As a uh, fledgling seminary student who had just started an internship, I originally had set out to preach uh, six sermons through the epistle of James. Well, five sermons in, we are finishing the first chapter. And this just shows, as a t- this is a testimony to us of the riches and the depths of the glory of God and his word. So let's pray as we go to study his word together. Father, this is your time, this is your day, and this is your word. You have promised that you will uh, bless it, the hearing and the reading of your word by your spirit, Lord, that your word would not go out, without re- would not return without producing those fruits that it intends to, Lord. So we pray now, beseeching you for this, uh, your promise to come forth, that you would work mightily in our hearts today through the hearing and the preaching of your word, Father. We pray this in the name of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in C.S. Lewis's classic work, The Screwtape Letters, where a senior demon is instructing a younger demon in the art of tempting humans, whom they call patients, the devilish screwtape describes humans as a series of concentric circles. You have the innermost circle being the man's will. Next, after that, comes the circle of intellect. And the outermost circle is his circle of fantasy or imagination. And Screwtape says to the demon Wormwood, it is your goal to thrust all virtue into those outermost circles as far as you can, out into the realm of imagination and intellect. This is because, as Screwtape says, all sorts of virtues painted in the fantasy or approved of by the intellect or even in some measure loved and admired will not keep a man from hell. Indeed, they make him more amusing when he gets there. What good, says Lewis, if, if, if virtue, what good is virtue that exists only in the realm of our, our, our intellect or in the realm of our fantasy? The answer is there's no good of it at all. What good of it is if we never act in accord with God's word? If we never act out of love for our neighbors? Is such virtue worth anything? And the answer, of course, is no. To hold these things at arm's length, even to nod at them, and even admire to them from afar, is in reality to have little love for them at all. 
Imagine a piece of food that you say, that looks tasty, but you never eat it. Did it really look that tasty? And this has been James' message in his uh, epistle so far. To recap, the book of James has been teaching us that Christianity is not merely what we say, but it's what we say and what we do. It's, not, it's a life of confession, yes, but it's a life of confession that results in right behavior. This is because for the Christian in Christ, you have been given a new heart, a living heart, as the prophet says it, with the word of God written on it. And that means the Christian's life is to produce something completely different than it once did. Think of a spring that has been cleansed. A spring that had, had all the muck and filth taken out of it, so instead of producing foul, dirty water, it produces a clean, refreshing spring water of obedience and love for God. So James' call is to live, the, is, the Christian life is to live in light of the truth we confess and believe, and to love and to cultivate those virtues which God, which in our lives which God loves. And this is a call all over Scripture. In James, we saw this in how one reads the Bible. Do you, how, he, he talked about reading it and doing nothing versus reading it and acting on it. So basically, you can sum it up. How seriously do you take God's word? Do you read God's word and does it change your life? Or do you read his word and walk away from it and forget what you read? James, as we discussed last time, said that that is as foolish as a person looking at their own reflection in a mirror and forgetting what they see. And now we get to the end of James chapter 1 and he brings his point to a razor edge. Again, look at what he says in verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, first off, let's say a few words about uh, this word here, religion. It's common uh, in our day and age, we don't like this word. Sometimes we repel from it. We say, well, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And there is truth to that. There's reasons that we don't like this word because it is something that has been misused or mishandled. James points out here, there is a religion that is worthless. But there also is a religion that is pleasing to God. And this Greek word is uh, threskos. And uh, to look, delve deeper into its meaning, this word can mean fear or worship or even reverence how one lives out their life before God. And if we think about it this way, James is asking us a question today. Is your religion, is your, religion, is your reverence reverent enough? Is your reverence before God something that is truly reverence? Or is it, is it truly reverent, meaning it's focused on God? It's founded on the gospel. It takes his word and God's glory seriously. That is re- religion that is reverent. Or is it a religion that is focused on self? Is it a religion that is based off of not the gospel, but something else? Is it a religion that doesn't take the glory of God or his word seriously? That is a question before us today. And James starts off with a discussion of religion that is worthless. What does he say here? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. But what is the connection between religion and the bridling of the tongue. 
Well, we have such a connection. Jesus gives us an insight into this in Luke chapter 6. He says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So you see, the, the, the mouth is a conduit for what really exists in a person's heart. What is in their heart will flow out of it, like the opening to a, a tap or a spring. If there's salt water in the well, salt water will come out of the tap. If there's fresh water in the well, fresh water will come out of the tap. And James is saying here that a person who thinks themselves to be religious, actually the Greek says if someone can, thinks to, religious to be, this is an, they're thinking, I'm going to be religious. But they don't bridle their tongue. That is, if, the, if they're not keeping control of their life, if their heart is not sub- submitted to God, then what good is such a religion? Where is the reverence for God in that? Are they taking God seriously? Are they taking his word seriously? And uh, James goes on to say that such a person is deceiving themselves in the midst of this. And the question is, why is such a religion not pleasing to God? Well, as I said already, such a religion doesn't take God seriously. As one commentator puts it, their heart is not right with God and their fellow man, and their attempt to hide this lack of love only heightens their self-deception. Their religion is worthless. They may think they're going through all the right motions. Maybe they even know their Bible very well. But James is saying here that such a person who can go through all the motions, can quote all the theology and all the scripture, but their tongue is not bridled. They don't have reins on it. To use a modern-day expression, they don't have at least. It says they're deceiving themselves. What good is that? An abundance of religious intention and religious trappery without a genuine striving after obedience is basically lipstick on a pig. Now, what do I mean by lipstick on a pig? Well, a pig's not the most glamorous looking of animals. Uh, It's not even the most glamorous acting of animals. They tend to roll in the mud. They tend to eat whatever they want. And uh, you can try and doll them up by putting lipstick on them, maybe a, a pretty outfit. But at the very base of it, what's still there? It's still a pig, right? So, God, so James is saying here that this person's religion, they may be deceiving themselves, they may be covering themselves in religious tra- uh, tra- trappery, but who is fooled? They're fooled. God's not fooled. Can we fool God? The answer is no. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he, well, he calls them whitewashed tombs. What is a whitewashed tomb? It's a, a tomb that has been made to look pretty on the outside. But as Jesus says, it has something pretty deadly on the inside. Or think of the idea of wearing two hats. I don't know, uh, I've worn, uh, had jobs where I've had to wear two hats before. It was uh, usually a nonprofit. Sometimes you have to be a, a janitor, so you're wearing a janitor hat when you're cleaning bathrooms. Sometimes you have to wear a receptionist hat when you're answering phones. So the question here is, do you have a Sunday hat and a rest of the week hat? And what I mean by this is we need to consider, do we have a Sunday behavior and a rest of the week behavior? Do we come to church on Sundays, uh, not necessarily dressed up, but saying all the right things, even thinking all the right things, uh, coming to church on time, going to Sunday school, Bible study, 
but then we go home and live however we want with an unbridled tongue and an unbridled life? Well, what does God say about such religious behavior? He says it quite strongly in the words of the prophet in Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my court? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the callings of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You see, it was not enough. And it's not enough to claim faith if we don't have a life that lives in accord with that. James will go on to talk about that in the next chapter. He'll say, what good is it, my brothers, if you say you have faith, but do not have deeds that follow that? Can such a faith be genuine? And previously, James has talked about the double-minded man, and he gave the double-minded man a warning. He says, do not, such a man cannot even for a second believe that he will receive anything from God. Now, as a reminder, what is a double-minded man? It uh, refers to someone who can't make a decision. They, both, they want it both ways. They want to live. They want the promises of God, but they also want to still live in the world. They can't decide. They're, they're wishy-washy. And God has said that such a person whose heart is not ultimately for me cannot expect to receive anything from me. And this is because such a heart still wants to spend on self and not for the glory of God. So religion without an unbridled tongue, without an unbridled life, is worthless. So what does God want from us? Well, he wants religion that is pure and undefiled. He wants reverence that is truly reverence. He wants us to take God seriously, not just with our words, but in all aspects of our lives, in our hearts, in our private times, when we're behind closed doors with what we're thinking, with what we're watching, when people are all around us and when no one's there. So what then is religion that is pure and undefiled that is pleased, and is pleasing to God? Well, first off, it must come from a heart that is born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Jesus also said to the woman at the well of Sychar, uh, God is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. So true religion is that which comes forth from a heart that has been reborn by the grace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. And such a rebirth flows into a heart of, of obedience, a heart of seeking after obedience. So faith is active, as I have already said. Faith doesn't just claim to be faith and sit there and do nothing. One of my favorite examples is Noah. God says to Noah, build an ark because I'm going to make it rain. 
Imagine if Noah had said, yeah, I believe you, God. Sit there waiting. Hmm. No, ark, no, the ark was built by Noah because he had faith in God. He acted, on his belief, he acted on God's promise because he believed him. So faith doesn't just sit there. Faith acts. So true religion is a life which flows out of a new heart into obedience, seeking after obedience. And then it, this is an obedience which Christ has modeled for us in his life. And if I were to boil down, well, James kind of boils it down for us. Uh, to look at the life of Christ, you can um, put it into two categories. There is a love for God, first and foremost. Christ loves and rejoiced in his Father. Christ lived a life that was fully seeking after righteousness. And I'm not talking about a haughty self-righteousness, but genuine, true righteousness. He had joy in God. He hated what God hates. He hated, his, he hated sin. Now for us, we're not sinless like Christ. So for us, a life that, is, uh, that loves God is one where we repent of our sin, where we hate it. We seek to be rid of it. We turn from our sin to God. James uses the words, uh, uh, keeping oneself unstained from the world. That means not living as the world lives, but living as a saint set apart for Christ. Not thinking the way the world thinks. Not walking after the pattern of this world. But being led by the Spirit of God and the thinking of God. To have our minds renewed by God. This is what it means to live unstained from the world. And second to this is to love others. To love our neighbor as we would love ourselves. We certainly see this in the life of Christ. Christ came down from heaven. He took on flesh and died for those who had rejected God. Christ loved his enemies. This is what he modeled for us. He sought after the weak and the marginalized, the helpless and the lost. You see, he, was, uh, he did not go after the noted uh, popular theologians of the day. He went to the prostitutes to the tax collectors, to the fishermen. And he died on the cross so that we who hate God or hated God would be cleansed and brought into newness of life and given new hearts. And that is the heart that seeks after taking care of the lost and the lowly is a heart that understands this. You see, James says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. This doesn't mean we only visit orphans and widows, but in the time this was written, orphans and widows were the poster childs for helplessness, for marginalizedness. No one wanted to, no one would gain anything from helping an orphan or a widow. They had nothing to return. They were the weakest. They had no one to protect them. So this is religion that is pure and pleasing to God, to love those who are unlovely, to help those who have no other help, and to do so in the name of Christ. As Jesus said, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. So do we understand this? Do we understand what exactly Christ has done for us? And do we seek in our practice, in our walk before God, our devotion, our reverence to him, do we seek to be reverent in this way by loving others as he has commanded us to, as he has loved us himself? 
Christian, we, the Christian has been cleansed by Christ. You have been given a new heart. He has poured out his Holy Spirit upon you so that you can now live for his glory. You are a spring of pure water, not salt water, not filthy water. Therefore, why would we live any other way than by the Spirit? Why would we live any other way than what is pleasing to God? Why would we live driven by the flesh or by our desires? As James talked about previously, the one who is tempted is one who is being drawn away by their own desires. But we are called to be drawn by the Spirit. I call you to consider once again the um, I have it right here. The um, assurance of pardon that we receive today. The image of the, those who have been washed, their, have had their sins washed, their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. They have this promise. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more. They neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away the tears from their eyes. This is our God and Savior who calls us to live in reverence for him now. Can anything else that we seek to chase after in this world save these promises to us? They can't. So in light of this, I ask, is your reverence really reverence? Are you reverent with your tongue, speaking only that which is glorifying to God and encouraging to others? Are you reverent with your eyes, only taking in those things which are pleasing to God and are um, that do not hinder your walk? Are you reverent with your hands, being about the work of God? Are you reverent with your heart? Have you set your will and affections on those things which God loves, not because they get you something, but because God loves him, because he is all that we, he is our great inheritance. Now imagine, if you're like me, many here are listening to this and reading this text, and uh, we may be feeling the weight of our sin and guilt. That's good. That is a good response to what we are hearing in, today. For the truth is, uh, even for the Christian, we are deficient in this area. We have moments where we lose sight of what it means to please, what pleases God. We have moments where we let our tongue and our lives run rampant without being reined in. There are times when we still live not according to our confession and our practice. So what do we do? Well, we repent. First and foremost, we turn from these things. We confess them to God. This is part of what it means to live by faith, is to recognize our sin, as as John says in his epistle, to walk in the light, not hiding our sin, but recognizing it before him. So we confess our sin to him. We bring it to him, knowing that he promises to cleanse us of our sin if we confess it to him and to forgive us. And then we turn from it. We seek to live in newness of life. And how do we do this? 
by gritting our teeth and resolving, I'm going to do better tomorrow? Well, there's a, there's a place for that. But first and foremost, we have to recognize that we need him to enable us to live daily for him. You and I cannot, on our own, bear fruit. Jesus taught this when he, when he said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. What he means by this is, he is the giver of life and health and fruit. And if you go up to a tree and tear off a branch, do you think that that branch is going to produce anything useful? The only thing it can do is it's useful for it to be thrown into the fire, as Jesus says. But if the branch abides in Christ, they bear much fruit. The fruit of obedience, the fruit that pleases God, the fruit that bears witness to the world that we are his disciples. And God has promised to do this. Uh, Tim talked about things that God has promised us today, things that we can pray for and know that God answers. One of this is that he promises that he will give his spirit to those who ask of it. He will give wisdom abundantly to those who ask for it. He says, abide in me, you will bring much fruit. He has promised that he will bring to completion that work which he has started for in us. This makes me think of the prayer of St. Augustine, where he says, grant what thou commandest, and command what thou dost desire. God has given us his commandments, but he has also promised that he will He has written his word on our hearts, and he will enable us to live for him. Now, does this mean that we now sit back and wait to see how God changes us? No. This means we strive forward in action and doing and see how God changes us. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works into you according to his good pleasure. God has poured out his spirit in us who believe. And Paul talks about this in Galatians. Since you have been made a child of God in Christ, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, uh, it means to acknowledge our dependency on him for our daily or hourly strength, to fight temptation, to live godly lives. And it also means to actively follow his lead. The term here is a military term. It means to, to rank and file, to follow behind someone. Or to put it in maybe in a, a term closer to us, is it's playing the game of follow the leader. I don't know if you remember this game from childhood. You had a leader and all the kids followed him or her. And uh, they did everything he did. They walked everywhere he walked. If he walked over a rock, they walked over it. If he swung on the monkey bars, they did too. But the problem is with this illustration is that game, it was a goal of the leader to mess up the other kids. I I always fell when they did the monkey bar thing. But that's not the goal of our leader, the Holy Spirit. Christ says, follow me. We are to lead, be following his spirit in our lives. And then the spirit, he leads us, but he comes beside us. He takes us under his arm and he helps us. That's what the word helper means. It's perikletos. It means one who comes beside. So we, we hear God's call to obey. And we respond in assurance that those who have put their faith in Christ, those who follow after him, will be able to walk, keep with, up with the spirit, to walk in step with the spirit. 
So what is the call today for God's people? The call is for us who love Christ, who have been cleansed by his blood, who have been made dear and beloved children of God, who have been given his very great and certain promises. The call for you today is to seek after that religion which is pure and pleasing to God, that, re- that reverence what it is truly reverence. Let us follow after our Lord and let us live lives of genuine reverence before him. Now, if you are listening to this and uh, you have never trusted in Christ, or if you think that you can please God by your own efforts, I ask you this question. Will you continue in vain and worthless religion? As I have pointed out, uh, any sort of spiritual or religious activity outside of faith in Christ is useless. God's word says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Scripture describes the unbeliever as someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins. So what can a dead body do? A dead body can do nothing but waste away. Therefore, if you are listening today and you have not put your faith in Christ, he calls you, look to his son. Look what Jesus did on the cross. He died for the sins of all who would believe in him. And the God's promise is those who look upon the Son and believe in him will have eternal life. They will have forgiveness of sins. And Christ rose from the grave on the third day to assure us of this. So if you would have eternal life, if you would have forgiveness of sins, if you would seek to live a life that is truly reverent before God and pleasing to him, you must do this. You must Repent of your sins and believe in him. And then you will truly begin to live that life which produces fruit, which is truly reverent. May God be praised. May his word bless our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for your grace poured out on us in Christ Jesus that we who have believed in him can now live lives of fruitful obedience, Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give it, guide all your people in this obedience, Father. Pour out your spirit on us. Make our desire righteousness. For you have promised in your word that those who thirst and hunger for righteousness will be blessed. They will be satisfied. So we pray, Lord God, now put this hunger and thirst in our hearts and then satisfy it by your spirit and your grace. In Christ Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.